This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. The legal information presented on In Legal Terms is meant to provide general information about the topics discussed and is not necessarily the opinion of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. The information conveyed does not create any type of attorney-client relationship. Please consult an attorney provider before making any decisions about your specific legal questions. Welcome to In Legal Terms from MPB Think Radio, the show all about you and your rights. I'm Liz Gill, and I'm with Professor Richard Gershon of the University of Mississippi School of Law, and we are riding the Earth Day wave today. Good morning, Professor Gershon. Good morning, Liz. It is great to be here with you, and I love the fact that we're doing this on Earth Day. Uh, You know, a couple of things that people can do. I I, I read uh, that one of the best things we can do to protect the environment uh, is to switch to LED lighting. It's a simple thing to do, uh, but it would uh, it would cut down on emissions. So, uh, but we're really happy to have Professor Stephanie Showalter Otts here today. She's the director of the Mississippi Alabama Sea Grant Legal Program, uh, a great resource for our law school, uh, for our university, and our state. Welcome, Stephanie. We're so glad you're with us today. Good morning. I'm so glad to be here. Well, tell us a little bit about your background and how you got to be uh, Ole Miss Law. Yeah. So I grew up in Pennsylvania and uh, loved the beach, visited aquariums. Um, After a few years in college, thinking I wanted to be a marine biologist, I ended up deciding to go to law school to work on environmental issues. And as I was finishing up my clerkship, I... um, saw an advertisement for a staff attorney position at a new program, the National Sea Grant Law Center here at Ole Miss Law, and I applied and was so excited to get the position and to come down here. And then a few years later, I got the opportunity to be the director of both Mississippi-Alabama Sea Grant Legal Program, which is focused on issues in Mississippi and Alabama, and then the National Sea Grant Law Center, which covers the whole country. Now, I know a lot of other universities have Sea Grant programs that aren't legal. How do you, how does the Ole Miss Legal Center work? Do they work with these other Sea Grant uh, departments in other universities? Yes, there's actually 34 Sea Grant programs. Every coastal state, including the Great Lakes, has a program, and they're all university-based, and they're networked. And so we work together with all of the different programs to either share information or collaborate on projects. So what is the main purpose of the Mississippi-Alabama Sea Grant Legal Program? Yes, so our mission is to provide non-biased legal information to coastal stakeholders, Um, so cities, um, fishermen, um, people that are just using the coast, uh, visitors, and so we conduct research, we develop outreach programs to translate that legal information for non-lawyers. 
also great that Stephanie works with and the and the Sea Grant League uh, program works with our students, our law students, and she teaches classes here. Uh, she has been a moot court coach. Uh, they actually won the national championship uh, three three times, three or four times, three or four times. <laughs> uh, so it's a great uh, learning laboratory for our students as well. All right. Well, this is the day after Earth Day, but uh, Earth Month, and it's, uh, I don't know about Oxford or the coast, but Jackson is simply gorgeous today. And we're talking about the National Sea Grant Law Center with its director, Stephanie Showalter Otts. If you have a question, if you want to contribute to the show, we would love for you to call one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two. 7464. If you can't get to the phone, we've got an email. Legal terms at mpbonline.org. And we're talking about the Mississippi Alabama Sea Grant Legal Program. How does the law fit in with all of the science, technology, and policy areas? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think of law as a tool that you can use to solve a problem or achieve a policy goal. And so the way that we work with the scientists and the different disciplines is that if there is a new um, uh, like scientific technique or, for instance, like pollution control, then law may be a mechanism to provide an incentive for companies or cities to um, start using that pollution control technology. Um, um, or the scientists may be conducting research about something that is emerging as a risk to the environment, and then the law can help us manage or mitigate that risk. So. Now, what are some of the issues that you're working on currently? I know you've been really involved. Uh, you were involved with the oil spill, for example. But what are some of the things going on now? Yeah, so currently we've got a lot of different projects. We've been doing a lot on harmful algal blooms. So people may have heard of the uh, bloom earlier this year in Florida, where like they're often called red tides. And so we're working on that. We have a research project on oysters, where we're working with a team of scientists here on campus about oyster health. Um, we also do um, work on plastic pollution, um, stormwater management, and flooding. So we kind of have a whole range. Well, this is fascinating because I know Florida has had a red tide problem also. What are the what would the legal issues be surrounding red tide? Yeah, one of the things that we get questions a lot about is what authority um, does a like local government, for instance, have to close a beach if there is a harmful algal bloom, um, or what standards should a state agency use to close a fishery? So if a bloom happens near an oyster reef um, and there are concerns about human health. Agencies may need to close harvesting. And there's a lot of questions about 
the standards that an agency should use and what legal procedures they should follow. And what about uh, oysters? Oysters are such a huge, huge topic. Everything from uh, how they're grown, how they're harvested, how we eat them. What are some of the legal issues that have uh, surround that? Yeah, the, they're usually um, more secondary to oyster harvesting in the sense that the risks or um, threats to oyster often come from land-based activities. So pollution from land, like for runoff, um, or failing septic tanks that may be contaminating the water, and so it's unsafe to harvest them. And so we look at the type of policies that might help reduce those pollution threats to the fishery. Would the law center be a conduit for policy? Would you hear from stakeholders and then research that, then pass that along to legislators? Or the other way around, legislators might come to you to ask about researching what's the best method to implement a policy? We have had some experience working with um, like the governor's task force on oysters. We did some research for that, but um, legislatures are not our primary audience. We usually work with Sea Grant extension agents. So Sea Grant is modeled after land grant, and many people may be familiar with the county extension agents at Mississippi State, but Sea Grant also has extension agents that are working out in coastal communities. And so what usually happens is they have been contacted by a constituent who's trying to do a project or has questions about something, then they send that to us. And we answer that or do the research and send that information back out to the agent. All right. Well, we're going to continue our discussion with Stephanie Showalter-Otts, director of the National Sea Grant Law Center, after the break. If you have a question about coastal or marine laws and how they're formulated and researched, uh, or if you have a question about this Yazoo backwater pump project, maybe, that's been in the news, call us at 1-877-MPB-RING. That's one 877 672-7464. You can also send us an email. Our address is legalterms at mpbonline.org. What's so great about Earth Day anyway? What's it done for us? We'll tell you when we come back from the break. You're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. Listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio.
Welcome back to In Legal Terms. Not everyone has a chance to listen to our show live. If you've missed any of our program, you can listen to the whole show at mpbonline.org slash inlegalterms. It's available on the MPB Public Media app, as are all our local shows. I'm Liz Gill, and I'm here with Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law. And we're reminding you that on April 22nd, 1970, Millions of people throughout the country demonstrated on the inaugural Earth Day, calling for air, water, and land in the country to be cleaned up and protected. And that year, a bipartisan effort, the Environmental Protection Agency, was created and key legislation, the Clean Air Act, the Clean Water Act, and the Endangered Species Act came into force. So in honor of Earth Day, which was yesterday, we're talking about the National Sea Grant Law Center with Director Stephanie Show Walter Otts. Stephanie, one of the focuses on the uh, Mississippi Alabama Sioux Grant Law Center. Well, first of all, do you all have a cute little name for all of those letters, or do you just call it Sea Grant Law? Or yeah, we just usually say Sea Grant Law Center or Legal Program. Okay, not Maz Glapper. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> all right, um, it's uh, an environmental literacy and workforce development. Uh, tell us about why why that's important. Yes, so that is actually one of the focuses of the National Sea Grant College Program, so the federal um, umbrella kind of agency for the network. And it really just refers to the baseline knowledge that we think it's important for everybody, every citizen, to know kind of about how our natural systems work and, and how that information kind of controls Contributes to our day-to-day lives and our work and and those type of things. And so, especially for lawyers that want to work on environmental issues, or even if you don't think you want to be an environmental lawyer, but you might do real estate and encounter contaminated property or want to do construction and have to deal with land use codes, it's really important to understand the environmental um, science principles that our environmental and land use policies are based on. And the, the Law Center works, what do you have environmental students from the undergraduate college or are they all law students? Um, and do you use lawyers just in Oxford or do any of them help you remotely? Yes, so we do have law students at the law school who work with us as research associates. We usually have two per semester, and so they help us on projects. We teach classes for law students, and we also um, partner with the Honors College, and we offer some classes for undergraduate students through the Honors College. We don't generally work with um, other private practice attorneys. We do have colleagues in Sea Grant programs in other states, Rhode Island, California, um, that we work with on collaborative projects. But all of the lawyers working for the legal program are based here in Oxford. 
Well, Professor Gershon, tell us about some of the environmental law classes that are are that work hand in hand with the law center, the Sea Grant Law Center. Well, and actually, Stephanie may be the better person to answer that because she's taught some of those. But but they really are uh, based on air, water, uh, you know, clean, uh, toxic waste. They they deal with those issues and what are the legal uh, expectations uh, for businesses and dealing with those issues. Uh, you know, and so they're really important because they affect all of us. One of the things that we did uh, in 2010 was we had an environmental justice symposium here, a national justice symposium, that dealt with the issue that a lot of times toxic waste, uh, cell phone towers are built near the poorest people, and uh, and you know that really leads to more illness in those communities. Uh, so there, you know, the environment affects everyone. All right. Well, we're going to take another quick break here for the show. We're talking with Stephanie Showalter-Otts about the National Sea Grant Law Center, but we hope you'll give us a call at 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. You can also send us an email. Our address is legalterms at mpbonline.org. And what's been some legislation that has benefited the marine portions of our country. We'll tell you when we come back from the break. You're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. Listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. Welcome back to In Legal Terms. Remember, if you'd like to listen to this show again, you can listen to it three different ways. You can use the online website mpbonline.org slash in legal terms you can listen through our podcast which we put up uh, I try to get mine up every afternoon of the show you can also listen to the MPB public media app that's where all of our local shows are we uh, I love listening to podcasts I did a lot of it while I was cooking this weekend um Professor uh, Showalter Otts, we were talking about some of the environmental law classes. Uh, the environment is so big. <laughs> what, how, what are some of the classes that Ole Miss offers? Yeah, so Ole Miss offers the survey course on environmental law. So that's the course that's going to give you an introduction into the federal environmental laws that most people are familiar with. Clean Water Act, Clean Air Act, Endangered Species Act. But then we also offer courses on natural resources law. And so that's more uh, wildlife, hunting and fishing, public land. So you learn more about national parks, regulation of wildlife refuges, and how we just manage our um, wildlife populations. But then we have water law, which it covers how we... um, 
like allocate different water resources around the country and I also teach ocean and coastal law that um, looks at how we regulate coastal um, resources like development and also how we manage fisheries whale populations and the international framework governing our oceans and Stephanie also uh, worked with a team that did an international moot court competition. There are international issues uh, well as, with environmental law. For example, you know, if, I, if one country is overfishing their water, it may affect a country where those fish would normally swim to. So a lot of interesting issues. This brings me to a uh, little bit of a learn about law school question that's for for either of you. I know when people go to medical school, they choose a specialty, but then I guess after medical school, that's when they get extra training in their specialty. Do lawyers, I know some of them have, are there a special certification tests that for an area, but do you get a special certification in law school? It depends on the law school. There's a lot of variety of different programs. Here at Ole Miss, we do have certificate programs that allow a student to specialize. Um, Where I went to law school, at Vermont Law School, um, I was able to get a master's in environmental law along with my JD. So I could specialize when I was um, during school. For students that don't know when they first go to law school whether they want to specialize. Um, You can then go on to get an LLLM, which is an additional year of education where you can specialize in a various topic. All right. We're speaking with Stephanie Showalter-Otts. She's the director of the National Sea Grant Law Center for uh, the Mississippi-Alabama Sea Grant Legal Program that's at our Ole Miss University. And I mentioned before, what about some of the legislation? In 1972, the Marine Protection Research and Sanctuaries Act started the country system of marine sanctuaries, and whale, dolphins, seals, and manatees received strict protection from hunting and harassment in U.S. waters with the Marine Mammal Protection Act. I found it interesting when we were learning about your Sea Grant Law Center is that you provide training for flood plan managers. Uh, who's we? I live in a flood plan, a flood plain. We just had pictures of the Easter '79 flood, and I found a picture that was that was to become my house. You could see exactly the roof. But tell me what a, a floodplain manager is. Yeah, so these are the um, either a city or county official that is responsible for addressing, managing, or mitigating the flood risk in their community. And so they are usually responsible for reviewing permits for development in a designated floodplain or, you know, working with their land use planner and city commissioners or council to uh, 
implement, design, enforce policies that try to keep development out of those high-risk flood areas. And we do have, uh, you know, rapid coastal development. I, I think everybody wants to, to live near the beach or live near a waterway. What is it? It's supposed to give uh, positive ions or is it negative ions? I don't know. It's supposed to uh, give you a, a happier uh, outlook by being by that water. And with the, the greater demands on fisheries, resources, you know, climate change and other human activities, are leading to a decreased water quality, um, changes to fish population, wetland loss, and a host of other environmental impacts. So what does the Mississippi-Alabama Sea Grant uh, legal program, how are they working to promote uh, ecosystems-based management to maintain the, the habitats? Yeah, so as we like to say that it's important, especially in coastal communities, to learn to live with the water. It's just a fact of life, right? That's a reason why we go to the beach and we move to those areas is because we love the water. But that water will often get into places that maybe we don't want it to be um, because we've built in the wrong place. And but but those natural systems, the wetlands, the existing floodplains, can help us uh, reduce the risk from storms. So if we protect natural areas and we don't build in them, then that is an area that can hold the water during the next storm so that it doesn't come into our homes and businesses and, and basements. And so we work to raise awareness on the innovative new policies that communities are trying out to learn to better live with the water and protect these natural habits. I, I just had a vision of our family at at Easter when you have you know cakes or goodies or candy and it all seems wonderful but if if you you know if you eat it it's uh, an then it's not good for you. And we see the, you know, beautiful coastlines. We see the lake fronts or uh, areas around water. And you think, oh, wouldn't it be fantastic to have a house right there? But then, you know, just as soon as you put a house there, it's there to to absorb water for when the when the water is uh, gets higher and then it, that's not such a good thing that it's that's an interesting thing uh, to, to think about we have a call that uh, we'd like to go to it's our friend Dudley in Calhoun County thank you so much for calling in legal terms you're on the air go ahead thank you good morning uh, my concern is littering uh, I haven't heard anything about the way we trash our roads and also our, our areas, uh, even our water areas. Uh, that is such a bad thing as far as littering is concerned. How does this fit in with the topic today? 
Thanks, Dudley. That is a great question, and it fits in totally with what we were talking about. Um, littering is illegal in the state of Mississippi. You'll find almost every community has some sort of ordinance pro prohibiting the throwing of trash out in the environment. But that is one thing that I noticed when I first moved here was just how much litter um, is present in the state. And I think there just needs to be more awareness, awareness of the impact of litter on both the natural environment, but as, as, as humans, um, that a lot of the litter is plastic, which does not degrade. Um, animals can eat that plastic, and that's harmful to them. There are several um, entities around the state that are trying to raise awareness about it. The Pearl River Keeper in Jackson has a great like Instagram campaign. I think the campaign might be like hashtag take two or pick up two, where if you go around and pick up a piece of trash, take a picture of it and post it to social media just to try to encourage people to throw the trash in the proper disposal area. I mean, it's a great point, and it seems like, you know, there's some things that we could be doing like that, like just not throwing our trash on the ground, you know, recycling that plastic. There are plenty of ways to recycle plastic uh, and to to take our own bags to the grocery store and not add more plastic to the environment. So little steps that we could take that would uh, would make big differences if we all just uh, pitched in. Well, and with the oceans, uh, it seems like on Facebook you, we kept seeing the story about a whale that had so much uh, that had died and there was so much plastic in its, in its gut. Is there – how has the – has the Sea Grant Law Center done much work on plastics in our in our waterways? Yeah, we've done some research on the uh, new laws that are starting to emerge to try to deal with plastic pollution. It's a huge challenge from the legal perspective because it uh, runs from international level all the way down to the local level. And so you have a lot of potential um, Authorities that could be in, involved, and most of the pollution in the marine environment is coming from land. And so, by the time it's out, if you've heard like the great garbage patch, there's not much we can do because that's in international waters beyond the authority of countries. And so, we've been following and tracking legislation related to um, the banning of like microbeads um, that was Congress banned a couple years ago. It was, that's in makeup and cosmetics, and so that's now being phased out. Many communities are looking at prohibiting plastic bags and single-use um, items. That's just one way to try to address the problem. Other uh, laws and policies look at trying to just prevent plastic from being created at the source, right, using different types of packaging. Well, we've gotten past, I guess, protecting the, the pristine. What are some ways that the, that the law center is helping to restore uh, and address habitat restoration? 
Yes. So what we look at is trying to identify barriers to habitat restoration projects. Because the law is often reactive or it hasn't been updated in 30, 40 years, sometimes unintentionally state and local policies can prevent new restoration techniques from going in. Um, For instance, like oyster restoration may have a challenge if all of the laws in the state are about commercial harvesting and that you're not allowed to have a reef that is not harvested, for instance. That's just a a hypothetical example. But so we work with individuals who are doing habitat restoration to understand the laws and policies affecting their projects and to try to propose solutions. Stephanie, this may be a little controversial, but, you know, you, you... I am a believer in climate change. I do think that it is having an impact on our our oceans and, and their ocean levels. Have you seen uh, some actual impacts on our coast here in Mississippi from that? Yes. Yeah, so sea level rise, sea levels are rising in some locations along the coast, which means that there are places that are flooded by high tides or during storms that maybe weren't a five or ten years ago. Um, There hasn't been, I haven't seen a recent study on ocean acidification, so where the oceans, because of increased carbon dioxide in the atmosphere, are becoming more acidic. The first thing that tends to be impacted by that are oysters or corals, things that are making like a hard shell from calcium. And so they're not able to make their shells as well. I believe they are seeing some impacts of that in Texas, like a Flower Gardens National Marine Sanctuary where there are corals. And there are researchers looking at whether oysters here are starting to show that signs of stress. We're talking with uh, Stephanie uh, Showalter-Otts, who's the director of the National Sea Grant Law Center. We're learning about uh, the work that they do. Stephanie, looking at your the website for the, the, the Sea Grant Law Center, what, what is a living shoreline? A living shoreline refers to a alternate erosion control technique or structure that uses more natural systems to prevent the erosion. So maybe you're using an oyster reef or you're building an oyster reef to try to reduce the wave energy and therefore reduce erosion. They're considered an alternative because traditionally our coastal shorelines have been hardened with concrete or some other artificial structure, which actually tends to increase the erosion behind that structure. So by using natural grasses or plantings, trying to restore um, what might have been a marsh, we can accomplish the same erosion control without um, putting concrete in the water. 
I know when I lived in Charleston, South Carolina, there was a, a beach that was eroded, and they kept trying to re, you know, put more sand on it, put more sand on it, and all that did was cause problems elsewhere. So it does seem like there is cause and effect that we haven't really understood yet, and it does seem like you know that's something that you study. Yeah, there's definitely um, always a downstream impact or unintended consequence. And um, often what people, the general public may not know that many of our beaches, the beaches that we visit in Florida and other places, are renourished, which means that sand has been pumped back onto those beaches. And that has to happen on a regular basis because that sand is constantly eroding away um, and so there's cost and and um, just different things involved with those type of projects all right well listeners we hope that you'll call in we've got a few minutes more left for questions our number is one eight seven seven mpb ring that's one eight seven seven six seven two. 7464. You can also send us an email, legal terms at mpbonline.org. But what about lately? What kind of legislation has been passed lately concerning our environment and our, our wetlands? This is in legal terms on MPB Think Radio. Listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. Thank you for being a part of In Legal Terms today. If you've missed any of our program, you can listen to the whole show at mpbonline.org slash In Legal Terms. It's available on the MPB Public Media app and as a podcast. And we really hope you'll, when you download the podcast, you'll subscribe to it. We have a little race around here, and we would love to have In Legal Terms get a few more subscriptions for the podcast. I'm Liz Gill, and I'm here with Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law. We were talking about maybe some recent legislation, and in March, uh, President Trump signed a law that extended protections to over 2 million acres of land across the country, touching most states, but uh, the administration also revoked a rule that prevented coal companies from dumping mining debris into local streams. We're talking with Stephanie Showalter Otts, director of the National Sea Grant Law Center in honor of Earth Day. We're talking about what all the the Mississippi, Alabama uh, National Sea Grant uh legal program does for our environment and let's talk a little bit about fishing in mississippi uh everybody loves to fish (laughs) um but um with uh oil spills and overfishing that have had uh, negative impacts on the industry what has the uh legal the the legal program done what kind of work have you done with uh fishing 
fishing, yes. So we primarily just try to track uh, the development of legislation and regulations that relate to the fishing industry. It's There's a lot of kind of moving pieces with respect to fishing because it's both federal authorities and state authorities depending on where you're fishing and it also depends on if you are a commercial or recreational fisherman and whether you fish by going on a charter boat or if you have your own boat and so there are different laws and policies for the different sectors that they call them in fishing. And so we just try to stay on top of the developments and let people know what's happened. We cover court cases when they come out so that people understand the impact of those decisions on the current framework. And how do you let people know what's going on? We have an active Twitter feed, so you encourage you to follow Mississippi Alabama Sangrant Legal Program. We also have a Facebook page, and we publish a quarterly newsletter called Waterlog, which is free, available online. And if you go to our website, you can sign up to receive an email alert when the new publication comes out. Are there ways that individuals can uh, contact the the legal program if they need assistance, or what kind of um, what kind of relationship do you have with uh, the the general public who might own some kind of coastal property or a pond or n- need some assistance? So we are a federally funded non-advocacy research program. So we are prohibited from providing legal advice. And for that reason, we do not accept questions directly from the general public or individuals. However, we can answer questions that the public has um, if it is kind of brought through Sea Grant extension agents or city officials or kind of other um, of our stakeholder groups that we can work with on a research basis. And so um, we're happy to talk to people and provide them um, with guidance on maybe they need to talk to a state agency or someone else about their question, but we can't directly provide them with assistance. And by the way, that website is masglp.olemiss.edu, and they have great information on their website about everything they're doing. Can you get that uh, email, that web address one more time, Professor Gershon? It is M-A-S-G-L-P dot dot E-D-U. All right. And we will have that on our website, which is mpbonline.org slash in legal terms. We have about, oh, three or four minutes left. Uh, Professor Showalter Otts, what... What what else do we need to know? What can you leave us with? I guess I would just say to second what Professor Gerson said is that 
what we as individuals can do can make a really big difference. And so I encourage everyone to think about how they are going through their daily lives and how their activities are impacting the environment. And think about what you like to do outside. If you're a fisherman, if you're a boater, um, if you are a hiker, the reason you love those things is dependent on a clean environment. And so I know that all of the hunters and the fishers out there um, want to protect the environment. And so we as individuals should think about that when we are trying to dispose of our trash um, or thinking about whether we need to buy that um, produce that's in styrofoam versus that is freestanding at a market. And just think a little more about the impact that we're having on the planet. You know, Liz, uh, I took a quiz on uh, a website this weekend about some of the things that we can do. And it's surprising little things make such a big difference. You know, it's uh, not necessarily uh, just switching to an electric car, although that is something that would be helpful. But it's uh, being more conscious about food waste. You know, wasting food uh, affects the environment as well. Uh, as I mentioned, LED lighting is so simple. Uh, getting re- reusable bags to take to the grocery store. And once you do it, uh, it becomes a habit and you don't even think about it. That's right. And we want to remind everyone you can find out uh, more about the Mississippi-Alabama Sea Grant Legal Program from their website, which is the first letter, M A S. G-L-P, and it's at our University of Mississippi, so that's oldmiss.edu. Um, one last thing that I noticed, um, sustainable aquaculture. Tell us what that means and how has the legal program been involved in that? So aquaculture is just the growing of fish in either the marine environment or freshwater Folks in Mississippi are probably most familiar with catfish aquaculture. Um, But the reference to sustainable aquaculture is that um, aquaculture is an important contributor to the economy in many coastal communities, and it can supplement our seafood from Um, in addition to the wild harvest sources. Um, But um, there is risk that if aquaculture is not properly managed or sited in locations where it's not really feasible, that it could cause environmental impacts. And so the legal program is just involved in doing research on how aquaculture policies and laws can be developed to ensure that the industry can thrive while protecting the environment. I'm so glad you were able to join us today. Thank you so much. Thank you. 
All right. Well, this is going to wrap us up for In Legal Terms. Our screen engineer for today, our call screener today has been Michelle McAdoo, and our board engineer in Jackson has been Jay White. So for Professor Richard Gershon, who hosts from the University of Mississippi School of Law, I'm Liz Gill. Up next is our Tuesday Southern Remedy Show, Relatively Speaking, with Dr. Susan Buttress. But we hope you'll join us again next Tuesday at 10 a.m. for In Legal Terms. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast. This is In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.